everyone. Everyone this week, not everybody. See, I can change it up. To the Media Boat Podcast. Today is March the 3rd. 2021. We are in March proper. Some would argue March 2020 never ended, but here we are in March 2021 somehow through some sort of circumstance that is mysterious to all of us. If you do not know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that's dedicated to talking about media, and that includes movies, television, video games, and music, but not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. With me is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Um, it is March, which means we have gone a little mad. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll see how mad exactly we're going to go. Um, but yes, March is traditionally a busy month for us here at the Media Boat. I almost said corporation, and I'm like, we're not incorporated. We're not a company. We're not a small business. Uh, you think you need to make money to be a small business? I think I think you do. Somehow. We just make entertainment. Although, then again, you could argue then, like, then Twitter is not a business. Then, no, Twitter is a a <laughs> void that you yell void. into. It's true, and so is the Media Boat Podcast <laughs> because here we give you the newest news and the thoughts about what we've been watching slash enjoying slash playing. You know what, whatever it may be. And this week is not any different. We have plenty to talk about here, so let's dive right in let's start with movies and we always start movies with the box office just some quick hits here number one movie is still well is is the brand new debut this week uh tom and jerry which we'll be talking about a little later in the podcast get ready for that strap in for that conversation (laughs) um that made 14.1 million dollars in the few theaters that it was in Number two, following right behind it, The Crude, still trucking around, $1.2 million. That's a $52 million domestic. Not terrible, considering we're in a pandemic still. Uh, considering the it's things, been making a million dollars for like the past five weeks now on a consistent basis. It's not bad. Not bad at all, really. All things considered, with how dismal these numbers have been, that's, I think, the first decent domestic total we've seen in a while. Since probably since tenant probably maybe i mean considering wonder woman's only at 43 million domestic right and that's been your second highest yeah even wonder woman couldn't make it number three little things with 930k that's at 12.9 million domestic total and the aforementioned wonder woman 1984 705k this week putting it at 43.6 million dollars in domestic Rounding out your top five, The Marksman with $701,000, putting that at $12.3 million domestic. So we're still playing that small numbers game. Yes, but why have we started redoing the box office? Well, because theaters are slowly reopening, and there's entire states that are now starting to reopen slowly but surely. Oh, we'll talk about Texas. We will. We'll talk about that. But for now, let's talk about one of those theater chains that are making decisions, not necessarily about opening or not, but what movies they're going to be playing. And that takes us to Cinemark, our first news story here. Yep, and it takes us also to our upcoming release this week of Raya and the Last Dragon. Yes, the new Disney film, Raya and the Last Dragon, may not be playing at a theater near you. 
The new Disney film will be made available in both theaters and as a $30 purchase on Disney Plus Mulan style on the same day. That being said, Cinemark, Harkins, and Cineplex in Canada are refusing to play the fe- refusing to play the feature, although negotiations can be made late and still appear on the marquees. Currently, the rules are if a theater doesn't like the terms of a deal with the studio, they don't have to play the movie. They have that right. This harkens back to the um, legislation that happened with Paramount way, 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 way back in the 20s, was that? Yes, when they demonopolized, deregulated. Part of the deal was that as independent operators, the theaters can say like, yeah, we don't want to play, we don't want to play the studio's films. Um, You can even look back as recent as almost a year ago in April of 2020, when the conversation was had with Regal, or not Regal, uh, with AMC and Universal Films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is right. why and that was uh, Trolls World Tour that they were having that fight about right which I think was our t- story last year it was part of our story, of I, our think our story was, I think we wrapped it into our um, movie business changing because of the pandemic thing right. um, so yeah this is why this is of course similar to the deal that Warner Brothers has they're doing the same kind of day one on theaters, day one on HBO Max deal, like we've discussed. A Cinemark representative says, as for the Rhea shutout, while we are having conversations with the Walt Disney Company, we have not yet reached agreeable licensing terms for Rhea and the Blast Dragon. As we continue to work with our studio partners, we remain optimistic that we will reach mutually beneficial terms that will provide moviegoers the opportunity to see the exciting film lineup in our theaters. So Cinemark is saying that Disney is lowballing them, at least in their eyes, on distribution for their theaters. And so until Disney ups the payday, they're not going to bother. It might not necessarily even be the payday, but it could also be the number of screens mandated by Disney for this to appear on. Possible. Because Disney wants this to be a wide release and it needs to get on a certain number of screens, certain number of IMAX screens, certain number of those big Dolby screens Yeah, to hit that. And if one theater chain is not going to play ball, that takes up 12% of that marketplace, if not more. Yeah. Actually, that's two. So it's like Harkins and Cinema, Cinemark. So that's, that puts it more like 22 then to 25%. Yeah. Disney is taking a risk here, um, not making a deal with Cinemark, potentially, because that is a portion of their profits that they could be losing out on. Of course, they're not as big as some of the larger chains like your AMCs and your Regals, so they may be willing to take the hit. I don't know. Jury's still out. Like the story here says, there can be late deals made. Movies can just show up. So there's a possibility that maybe this stays on the bargaining table and Cinemark gets these in theaters. There is also a possibility that this time, 24 hours from now, of us talking about it, they could reach a deal and story could be done. Yeah, for all we know, this could be resolved. But, but yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Of course, we'll be talking about Raya next week. I'm sure we will watch it. And uh, we'll probably also have some box office feedback to see how many people were in theaters to see that thing. So Right, especially now that Texas has kind of lifted all rules. But yeah. maybe too late for one of their theater chains. 
Well, thankfully, they're only Texas-based. But I remember. Do you remember the Alamo Draft House? I, I remember when <laughs> the Alamo was very popular. And <laughs> so you could if not you're... open your phone in an Alamo theater. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. To be kicked out. So... If you're not familiar with the Alamo Draft House, you're either not from Texas or you're not in a big metropolitan area because Alamo Draft House is kind of known for having their locations in like, you know, major cities. And they're kind of an interesting uh, theater concept. It's an independently owned joint. So they're able to do kind of their own special events and special screenings. They are also one of the first theater chains to do the eat, dining and drinking inside the theater while you watch the movie thing that has now become pretty much standard. Um, but right. they might Also be... one of the first ones to do alcohol, alcoholic beverages. And, yep. um, midnight Nights. That's true, too. They midnight. were famous for having um, cocktails that, were, that matched the movie you were watching. They were mm-hmm. themed to whatever the premiere was. So yeah, a pretty well-known little indie chain. Well, they're maybe not doing so hot as you might imagine because of the pandemic. And thus, the the Texas-based theater chain has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The filing comes as part of an asset purchase agreement with Altamont Capital Partners, a previous investor in the company, as well as a new backer, Fortress Investment Group. The company says that operations will continue as normal and the Chapter 11 sale will give it the capital it needs to continue operating as capable. As part of the bankruptcy, the chain will close down a few underperforming locations and restructure its lease obligations. So don't be surprised if your local Alamo Draft House maybe bites the dust here. But the good news is, is that the bigger, uh, bigger areas will likely still operate and Alamo will continue well into 2021 at least until the money runs out again. All right, because as we saw with AMC, which took on a big debt restructuring at the end of last year and got the cash infused, and, you know, some people decided to save it from the stock market. Uh, Alamo doesn't have that kind of backing. It's not an open IPO. Right, the only backing it has are the patrons, who I think they lost a lot of during this pandemic, unfortunately. I know a lot of people that I follow on the internet are faithful visitors to the Alamo Draft House. It's a very, it's like a cult favorite when it comes to movie theaters chains. So yeah, it'll be sad if ultimately they don't survive the rest of this. But hey, if all things go well, maybe by the end of the year, people will be filling those seats again. So we'll see. I think we did report on Alamo doing the first theater chain to do private screenings. Yes. And then everyone kind of followed suit after them. So being an independent theater chain allows them to do stuff like that, that big chains can't. It's true. They've been able to take a lot of risks. They've been able to be creative. And hopefully that will be an asset for them as they go on through the rest of this kind of experimental phase of movie going. Speaking of experimental movie going, we watched a couple of movies here uh, this week. We have a couple thoughts for you. We watched both of these movies. Yeah, um, for better or for worse, I guess you could say. As with the last few weeks on this show, it's like it sounds like we got um, kind of uh, one of each for you this week. Um, a stinker and uh, 
some entertainment. So what do you want to start with? The thing that I uh, thought was a good time and fascinating or the thing that is a trash fire that should have never been made? Let's talk about the thing that made number one at the box office. Alrighty, if we must, if we must talk about it. So we've alluded to the HBO Max movie premieres a little earlier in the show. We talked about the last few weeks. They have not been stellar outside of um, Judah and the Black Messiah. It seems like the deals that they've made over at Warner, maybe not the best foresight. And Tom and Jerry, the newest one, this week's edition, follows that pattern, unfortunately. Um, you know how I was gushing about Flora and Ulysses last week? We both really enjoyed that movie. And I said repeatedly that it was a great family movie. Well, take the opposite of that movie in almost every way, and you get Tom, Tom and Jerry. You get what this thing is. You take out the sparking family and the kind of close-knit group of Flora and Ulysses, and instead you throw in celebrity cameos and kind of more of a big-budget offering. So you kind of expect it to hit bigger audience widespread except your two leads your title tom and jerry don't talk <laughs> they're mute well not mute but the yeah. classic tom and jerry cartoons are traditionally orchestrated and if this sounds familiar uh before we continue yes i also don't know why this didn't happen a decade or maybe even two decades ago like, I don't, I don't understand why it took them until 2021 to release a live-action animation hybrid starring Tom and Jerry. I mean, consider how much of a success, success Space Jam was. That coincided, the uh, like 96, 97 period, coincided with the Turner and uh, Warner Berger. So the same studio could have made this movie back then. I'm just spitballing here it doesn't even coincide with kind of the second wave of these movies that you saw in the early aughts with um the rocky and bullwinkle film do you remember Mm -hmm. that turd Uh, and then um looney tunes back in action the second time they tried the looney tunes formula it's a miracle that this thing wasn't already made that it took us this long to make this movie and yet all that's doing didn't even help and that doesn't help it doesn't help this thing this thing is such a lousy movie. So not only the reasons that you said, the cast is very uninteresting. They're boring characters. Chloe Grace Moretz is trying, but the material isn't good enough to for, for it to be worth it. So even she comes off as strange through the whole movie. None of the characters have motivations that are clear. She's harassed by that by this guy for no clear reason just because he wants to harass her um tom and jerry are just basically going through the tom and jerry motions until about halfway through the film when there's a conversation oh you guys need to be friends that'll help and that maybe lasts 10 minutes and then it's back to the rest what they were doing the first half of the movie there's so many bizarre choices here and you don't feel 
anything for anybody or any of this or any situation that's happening. The jokes fall flat almost every single time. There's so few laughs in this thing. And even the thing that you buy the ticket for, if theoretically you bought a ticket for this movie, which is seeing Tom and Jerry antics on the screen, on the big screen, it doesn't even really deliver on that. There are like two set pieces where they let them go at it. And they just aren't that entertaining. So they didn't even fail to make a good movie. They also failed to make a good Tom and Jerry movie. So they failed on both counts. <laughs> it's hard because we're trying to figure out who this audience is for. Because <laughs> we did not grow up with this no. with Tom and Jerry. It's before our time. To be fair, we grew up with like the same way we grew up with Looney Tunes shorts, which is reruns on television, mm -hmm. including Cartoon Network, which kind of came of age by the time we were old enough to enjoy Tom and Jerry cartoons. And so, but yes, you're right. There's still, there's not a whole lot of nostalgia there, especially personally, we were more of a Looney Tunes family. And so the Tom and Jerry shorts weren't kind of happening sometimes, but it wasn't like I was watching all of them. It's not like I have an encyclopedic knowledge like to the point where I could remember enough Looney, Looney Tunes shorts. It's a different kind of situation. And so, yeah, so it's not necessarily for people our age, but it's definitely not written. You're right. It's definitely not written towards people old enough to have nostalgia for Tom and Jerry. It's not quite nostalgia based. No, it's more of a reboot. But that is one thing that I did kind of enjoy that, because Tom and Jerry are animated, they took that as either a liberty or a handicap, you be the judge, of making every animal animated in that universe. That brings up a good point. I had several thoughts throughout watching this movie is, what are the rules of this world? <laughs> because the thing that makes Space Jam and movies like it, like, and Roger Rabbit's actually a better example, is that the movie world establishes rules. This is where the animated characters live. They coexist with the human characters, and this is why. Both of those movies, even though one does a better job of being a movie than the other, establish that really early on so you're not asking questions to yourself. This movie does nothing like that. It just assumes that you figure out, oh, I guess all the animals are animated. But then... There are times later that the movie makes you question if it's really just animals and humans, right? Because there are suggestions that some animals do have jobs. Because even though Tom is thrown out of the office building early on, later it is just totally accepted when they decide that he's now working there. So are there animals that work in this world? Also, do the do the humans understand <laughs> the animals? Because there's yes. a point where animals are talking with other animals, but because Tom and Jerry never talk, they have to mimic everything. So, yeah, you have that interaction with a human trying to ex explain the plot to me as they're as they're doing this mimicking yeah. Abbott and Costello act. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost like this like weird class 
like class thing happening in the background of this movie where it's like oh animals sometimes work for us but they're never like but it depends on the animal also some animals talk others do not also also some animals have places to live and some animals are apparently homeless it's some animals are real estate uh (laughs) brokers (laughs) Also, animals have the ability to store things somehow in their person and magically take them out or put them back away if they need to. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of fight bubbles where you can't see what's going on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Do the humans see the thought bubbles? No, no, no. I don't know about the thought bubbles. I'm talking about the fight bubbles. That too. The the, the fight tornadoes. I was wondering about the thought bubbles that happened a couple times. Like when the fish thinks the poop emoji yes are the humans seeing the thought bubbles or is just is that just for us i'm not sure and also are this just again though the question that i'm struggling with is are these just animals that happen to be animated or are these cartoons that have assumed the form of what we call animals (laughs) i don't know there are so many questions left unanswered by this movie's world and the movie right. does not care a single second to address any of them. Do you want to know how much the movie doesn't care? One, it has Colin Jost in it. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's all you need to say. Two, at no point do they show that the couple is who's getting married is in love <laughs> prior to them fighting. Not only do they not do that, but they set up over and over again that they're terrible together. And that Colin Jost is a total asshole. And yet the ending of the movie is still based on you caring about them getting back together for no reason. Three. Why? <laughs> no, no, okay. I don't know put this. Why do, why do they have the money? How do they have the money? What does Colin Jost do? Or how are they so rich and famous? My understanding was it was that he's not the rich one. He's the schmuck. That the rich... She, she, I believe, is part of a rich family. Okay, but then why is this in New York and not, say, her hometown? <laughs> Maybe that's where It seems like that was Colin Joe's choice. Right. Character of making again, it in New York. Again, setting up the fact that he's basically, like, making all these terrible decisions for the two of them, Right. I think that's part of the character is because it's supposed to be like, man, doesn't it suck that Colin Jost is so annoying and overruling and she's not getting time of day. Right. But then you cast him in to play himself in this role. <laughs> it did seem like he was barely acting in this thing. I was like, okay, so Colin Jost is basically just hired to be Colin Jost. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we need to continue talking about this movie. <laughs> it just makes me mad. <laughs> For all the reasons we said and more, it's just, it's a slog to get through. The thing you're even watching the movie for isn't that great. It's a bad example of Tom and Jerry as characters. It doesn't really even care about Tom and Jerry as much as it cares about stupid things like this rich couple and Chloe Grace Moretz. And nothing is interesting. Nothing interesting happens in this movie. At one point, Tom sings in uh, T-Pain's auto-tuned voice for no reason. And it's unclear if the humans can hear him sing or or playing the piano. 
No, no idea. No clue. John Legend is on a billboard at one point, but he's not in the movie. I thought he'd be. <laughs> They kind of set him up in like the beginning. I figured he'd show up at some point, but no. Yeah, never shows up. There's an elaborate, uh, traditional, traditional in quotes here, Indian wedding that acts as a set piece here for no reason. <laughs> because you're supposed to have like a preordained thought that they're big and lavish. Yes. Animals. I guess. In New York City, which is why it, I'm, which is why I'm questioning why they made it this way yeah no it's inexplicable that it exists it's inexplicable that they made it and it's inexplicably bad is basically what you need to know about tom and jerry i'd say save your time your your precious time friend of the show christy literally fell asleep and bailed um 40 minutes in so that's basically all you need to know We've talked more about this film than Tom and Jerry have talked in that whole film. So it's true. It's true. Don't don't bother. Don't bother on HBO Max. Definitely don't go to a theater for this movie. If your kids are begging to see it, turn on uh, uh, Flora and Ulysses and make them watch that. They'll have a way better time. Or hey, there's classic Looney Tunes on HBO Max. You could be watching instead. Oh, there's classic Tom and Jerry on HBO Max that you could be watching instead. There's, there's classic exist- Muppet Show on Disney yeah. Plus. You could be watching instead. But the reason why I specifically said Flora and Ulysses is because it's so convenient that last week we talked about a good family movie. Mm-hmm. That So now when we're talking about a bad family movie, I have an instant recommendation to make that your kids probably haven't seen. So yes, go watch Flora and Ulysses instead of this, please, for the sake of us all. And lastly, Ken Jong did not give you in this film. Oh my god. I read a review that had a, the line... And also, Ken Jong is is in this film. You have been warned. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. that's basically where I was at too. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the other movie we watched. Why don't we? All right. So this is movie. It's a movie. It's a documentary. It's rated R, so it's a movie. The MPAA it can't rated. Be rated R. There's no swearing. <laughs> There's tons of swearing. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, there's tons of swearing. Well, I'm so, surprised yeah. about that, actually. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> because we're talking about on Apple TV Plus this week, their big uh, release this week, which is the documentary Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. So... We talked about Billie Eilish on this podcast once before. She comes up from time to time, whether it's on the billboard <laughs> yeah. or winning Grammys. Right. Sweeping Grammys, to be more specific. Um, and yeah, if you roll back the tape, I believe our conversation about her album when it came out, I was conflicted with it. Um, I remember kind of talking about that I thought it was well made and I thought that there's some talent definitely there. I was concerned maybe about the darkness of the subject matter and maybe the frivolity that it dealt with some like talk about death. Um, And so I was going into this documentary being like, okay, well maybe this will make me like get into the shoes of 
Billie Eilish more. Like maybe I'll be able to see, kind of understand where she's coming from, get the bigger picture of kind of, because it does do a good job of following both the creation process of writing this album and also the tour uh, that subsequently happened after the album's release. Uh, it really gets close into Billie Eilish's life through kind of, I want to say her pre-fame, even though it was barely pre-fame because no one's pre-famous anymore. You're pretty much just instantly famous when you get famous now. Um, and then through her stratospheric rise, uh, pretty much up until present. Um, and I guess the answer that I've kind of landed on is actually, no, it kind of just made me even maybe not more conflicted, but just as conflicted as I already was about this person's life and this per who this person is. Um, but I do have to say it's a very interesting, if maybe long, maybe too long documentary uh, about a fascinating musician. It is part documentary, part concert series, as it does have her play and show several yeah. songs throughout the documentary. But it is mainly a look into everything leading up to her Grammy Award winning album. Yeah. Uh, when We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? And kind of her process as a 17 year old, which they bring up a lot in this film. It is important to the Billie Eilish story, I think. Yes. Uh, and then basically how she is, she and Mainly her brother, I'll say it. Her brother <laughs> is the brains behind that operation. All right, I'm going to stop you there. For the most part. I think it's very easy to... I think it's very easy to look at the music, uh, look at the credits, and look at portions of this documentary and come to that conclusion. Because he does a lot of the songwriting. That's he does the I'm production. Going towards songwriting and song production are... Mm -hmm. Is even at what point Billie Eilish says that she hates songwriting, she hates yeah. the producing of music, she just wants to sing. And so, but I, I don't think that it's necessarily fair to say that the, that means thus she is that 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 Phineas is responsible for the success of Billie Eilish. I'm not going to go that far. I think still that Billie's lyric writing it's yeah, mostly no, that hers, journal is hers, yeah. and she has significant input in those songs. And what also, I'm saying is that Phineas is clearly the one who tries to keep her on a deadline, tries to keep pushing her, and I think at one point wrote the James Bond song, which they <laughs> sing in that thing. Kind of. So I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves. So we should say, like, so what we're referring to is that there's a lot of footage in this film of the songwriting process between Billy and her brother Phineas. Phineas, of course, an established producer at this point, is producing for uh, artists outside of Billy now. Also won the production uh, Grammy last year at the Grammys. Um, so is firmly now ensconced in the world of, of production. And it shows here. But I think that even though that he's kind of the more production-minded and definitely the more business-minded of the two, the footage that is shown here of their songwriting process seems to be a lot of big back and forth, though. I think there's still a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of creative sharing here. And a lot of the tone is established by Billy. I think that a lot of 
I think that without Billy, you don't get the kind of music that I think she makes because it's very much in the mind of a teenage, of, of somebody who is a teenager who is, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I am not a therapist, but I'm going to go on a limb here and say that she is somebody with depression. They never clearly say it in the documentary, which I thought was an interesting choice. They do briefly bring up the prospect of it. Her mother brings up the prospect of teenagers more in general um, being affected by a certain depression. Um, and there is, there, is a, there is established throughout this thing that uh, she is dealing with a, uh, a form of Tourette's as well. And it's kind of led to some uncontrollable tics, uh, physical tics that she has to deal with every once in a while. But it's never explicitly said that what she's dealing with specifically outside of that, which I think is probably a smart choice because as soon as you do, you're going to have a lot of armchair psychologists trying to tell her what to do on the internet. And so a lot maybe of 30-year-old men tell, trying to put labels on her. Exactly. And so maybe it's a good thing that they didn't, that's a, maybe it was a choice for them to leave out any sort of mental diagnosis there. But without that, but that is all part of who she is. I mean, it paints this portrait of Billy as someone who is fascinated with concepts like death, fascinated with the macabre, she has a pet tarantula. She has, you know, she's likes imagery of black ink oozing from her eyes. She draws doodles in her journal of dark, upsetting imagery. She likes dark, upsetting imagery to back her on her tour. And I think that that comes across in her music very clearly. There's a scene where um, I believe she's in Germany, I want to say. There's some, some, Milan. there's an, I don't remember where uh, she, the movie has her hopping all over the globe. So it's really hard to sometimes remember where was where, um, but there's a, there's a bit where she's being interviewed, I guess, by looks um, like a squad of like either music journalists or some people in the music field somehow. And one of them basically asks her about this world that she basically is creating with her songs. Um, and I think it was a really good way of putting it. Um, she's able to create a certain kind of imagery that is 100% hers. And I don't think that maybe, maybe Phineas shares some of it, but I think that is 100% her and the Billie Eilish thing does not work if you lose that. So that was my long roundabout way of getting to answer, like saying like, I don't know if it's technically fair to, to sweep it all into Phineas's corner, although he does a lot of work. Um, I think there are an even, even like even ranking thing. But the fact we're even having this conversation um, makes me kind of worried that like it is. It makes it clear that it's very easy to be like, oh, well, it, she's not doing the work when she's definitely doing a lot of work here. But the question that this documentary brings up and the conversation that I wanted to have about it: Does she want to do any of this? That, I think, is the conversation the documentary wants to have, is like, is this a person who wants this fame? Is this a person who seems like she's enjoying this life? That The end of the documentary suggests that maybe there is some hope there, but it spends so much time talking about the things that she has to deal with as just her personality being like more of an introverted personality with her physical stress, 
with her mental stress, emotional stress, with, you know, dealing with people close with her. Over and over again, this documentary reminds you that not only is this life hard for a teenager, it's hard for everybody. And is she somebody who is going to last very long doing this kind of thing? Who knows? I mean, I think that's why she's friends and that's kind of why they brought in Justin Bieber as the (laughs) kind of pseudo projectory that this can lead to. It doesn't outright explicitly say it. And yes, I'm sure they're friends in real life, but throwing that into this documentary specifically, one shows that she's still a 17 year old. She was listening to Justin Bieber five years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, idolizing. Yeah. For us, it was something. You're equal. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting dynamic that's easy for people our age to dismiss because we were old enough to dismiss the Bieber stuff when it happened and people who were younger than us were swept up in it. And so it it is kind of an interesting perspective to see how her relationship with it. But I think the most interesting scene involving kind of this specter of Justin that hovers over this whole thing um, is when her mother is talking about Billy's relationship with like parasocial relationship with Justin Bieber. And she even says, like, she even makes, makes it a point to say, like, oh, yeah, and he, he did something in it where he messed up, but he came back. Oh, and then he messed up again, but he came back again. And I'm just thinking, it's like, wow, she's very willing to, like, kind of put his personal foibles that may I remember, re- remind our listeners, affected very real human beings, a.k.a. Selena Gomez. <laughs> So maybe we shouldn't just sweep these things under the rug and be like, well, he messed up, but he came back. I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> See, I, I was thinking more about the uh, visit to Anne Frank house. <laughs> that too. Or more recently, had... his very, very credible um, uh, sexual assault allegations that we've now completely moved on from and maybe we shouldn't have. Um, so yeah, there's another, that's another can of worms that the movie does not bother open up because you're right it works the, the justin bieber comparison works for the the purposes of the documentary having a point of reference uh for for somebody who's had a instant career show up out of night uh, in the middle of the night like justin did B- billy also has um it's an interesting thing to to compare so we have basically this is interesting because it's the third in a line of things to, that's really easy to compare to you can compare a lot of this to the Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana, which mm-hmm. I talked about at length last year, and the more recent Framing Britney Spears documentary uh, that, that I talked about a few weeks ago. Um, because in all three of these situations, you have female artists who start in this business very young, who blow up and have unprecedented record-setting success. But all three of them have different trajectories beyond that. Of course, it's hard to call on Billy right now because of how new her career is compared to the other two. We don't know whether it's going to end up more Britney or more Taylor, or maybe a third variation that we don't know. But it, it is kind of an interesting living document where we're able to see the beginnings of something. 
and people in the documentary are often asking her, like, and warning her in a way that that could be you too. Right. There are several instances where they bring up her talking about drugs and alcohol in her lyrics, kind of foreshadowing that, hey, this, do you want to be talking about this? Because it could come back to bite you down the road, to which yeah. I believe her mom, or maybe, right. her students, maybe it was the mom, that said, do you really want to care about what people say <laughs> and care about five years from now if it's really affecting you right now? And you can change. You can have different opinions, yeah. but talk about what you want to talk about right now. For me, that is one of the most interesting scenes in this whole thing. Because I think there's a lot that's not said. It's very telling that Billy does not get a word in edgewise against her mother in that scene. Mm -hmm. Like at a certain point, she just goes on the mom rant and you just get to see Billy's face (laughs) react to all of it. Just constantly like eye rolling and just be like, come on, (laughs) come on, mom, without saying anything. But yeah, it is an interesting perspective because... It is very interesting, like, it is very interesting that she went out of her way, her and Phineas went out of their way to make statements about how they feel about drug addiction. And it makes sense. This is an entire generation that is facing down the barrel of a opiate, like an opiate, like an opiate, like pandemic, more or less. Epidemic, for sure. Um, They're seeing people around their age group, you know, like pop smoke for instance, that are dying from these addictions um, instantly and leaving like so many unanswered questions and an entire career that could have happened just gone. And so she's writing songs for, about this experience. It makes sense for though the older generation of her parents to be like, but what about you? Like, what is going to happen? Like, do you want to make this statement now? Right, that's also just parents being protective of their child. Yeah, but it is uniquely, it, like, it is unique, though, to this generation, though, I think, in some ways. There are things that they, about death and addiction, that they're dealing with on such a different level than even we were. Um, and yeah, I don't know, but but kind of to circle back to my original point, like, it does such a good job with getting you into Billy's shoes. But one, the one thing that it never addresses, though, it definitely appears that the family that she was born into was already kind of in a good spot. It's implied that her parents were successful musicians in a past life. They never go into that. They have a very nice house. It's very big. <laughs> is very quick uh, in the ways that she's able to suddenly be a superstar. Interesting. Is, are you trying to read more into that? Yes. Is That's kind of where I'm getting at, is that there's an interesting unspoken thing about this whole thing, which is she didn't come from nothing. And I'm not saying you need to come from nothing to make an interesting like career arc. I'm not saying that. But I think that the fact that they'd never comment on it makes the entirety of like this like struggle a little harder to buy it's the same struggle that i think that i was wrestling with the first time i talked about miss americana on here too is that it's very easy to be like oh i don't 
feel bad for Taylor because she's rich. You could, the same argument could be made for Billie here. It's like, oh, I don't feel bad for Billie Eilish. It's just, an, it's like, she's not really, like, where, like, she's in such this, in such this privileged position. Why is she sad? And they do bring that up, to be fair. But it does leave me with a, a not an ambivalent feeling, but a conflicted feeling, just kind of like her music itself. Where I'm just like, I get that she's being honest to the things that are going in her mind, but what are the origins of this? Like what, there's so much more to be like, to, to be delved into about her, who she is and where she came from that I don't know if this does do. And I think that goes hand in hand with the clever editing that goes mm-hmm. into this film. Yeah. Because there's that one point in the, in the film where she drives off for the first time in her car and her mom's not there to see her off. Yeah. And she asks, and they have a little confrontation after, like, well, you were on the phone. I didn't want to disturb you. Like, could that be extrapolated more? Yeah. To that she's more concerned about other people and not necessarily her daughter, which is why she thinks this way. <laughs> maybe yeah, I'm reading in too much into it. Maybe, maybe, but like, yeah, but the most worrying thing is just how casually she was talking about tracking her. And right. just like, oh, did she turn on this? She should have turned on the app the that GPS lets us see where app. she is. I'm like thinking to myself, it's like, you don't trust her to just go to her boyfriend's house? Okay. Oh, can we talk about the boyfriend? <laughs> It is very strange. The cho- I get why they made the choice. Or no, okay, so I didn't understand why they were focusing so much on the relationship with this mysterious boyfriend. Because yeah, throughout most of the time, you're just thinking like, why is she with this guy? He blows her off every single time. Again, might be because of the clever editing you mentioned. Um, but then I get why ultimately that they chose to do that. Because the scene, the concert scene where she breaks down during that song, that one song, Mm-hmm. doesn't work if you don't have the setup for what happened immediately before it, right? Right, yeah. It it also does play into the she is 17 <laughs> yes. aspect and will make dumb choices and maybe not see things clearly. To be fair, as I don't know if it was... Most people, as you will in hindsight or as yeah. you will be older. I don't know if it's a dumb choice. To me, it had all the all the baggage of this was a relationship that was established between her and this person before she was mega famous. Right. That's what it struck me as. I think it's it was it's a way. I think the filmmaker is using it as kind of like a through line for her to be like, this was once a confidant to her, but things have changed so much, both her as a person and who this person other person was. That this thing cannot continue because they're just two different people with two different worlds. Also, he seemed to be a jerk, which also helps. Um, I, yeah, I don't want to put it all on him, <laughs> but the film does make it seem like, oh, I'm going to get yeah. you to Coachella. Can you come out and hang with me? I haven't heard from no. you in two days. Yeah, That's not <laughs> a good move on any part, especially being invited somewhere. Yeah, it's... I think there's... What, what this thing at the end of the day is, it's a very interesting document of this unique performer who I think down the line depending on how her career goes is definitely going to be viewed as a kind of scion for her generation I think we're going to look and be like oh yeah Billie Eilish is like the template on which the zoomer was built 
even though I think that might be a little unfair to Billy, who was, I think, a little above the Zoomer age range. Mm -hmm. Still, though, her fashion has more or less become the template for Zoomer fashion. Her music has offered a easy baseline for a lot of Zoomer era musicians. The fact that Olivia Rodrigo has been on number one for so many, so many weeks at this point, using a template of what could be a Billie Eilish song, I think speaks to the effect that Billie has had on, on this generation of musicians. So I think that having this as a document of her like initial rise, I think will eventually be kind of a good like reference point. Be like, oh, this is where this started, this era of pop music that we're only seeing growing right now. I do think that she's going to be an important like 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 a thing to point at in the history of pop music. I think I'm not exaggerating when I say that. It might sound like I am, but I think that this is going to be a turning point and we're already seeing it turn. So in that way, this is a really fascinating look look at how that all started. Right, and as I said, if you want to rewind the tape all the way back to when we this album came out and we listened to it and gave our thoughts, it was not for us, <laughs> but also we're not going to poo-poo it because right. it is for people out there. There's a reason it's dominated the charts because yeah. people love this kind of album. People love yeah. this music. And it's well uh, made. Not for us, but it doesn't speak yeah. to us because we're not well of that generation mindset that life yeah and that's fine like it's really well made it's there's talent for sure behind behind these songs and yeah it may not necessarily be in our 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 wavelength but if anything that this documentary proves is that there are so many people that have been touched by her music that are i mean one person even shouts that that her music saved her life billy even says that performing this music has saved her life in a lot of ways. You do get a brief glimpse into the extent of how depressed she had been and how writing these songs do seem like an escape for her and a way to safely put these feelings on record, get it kind of outside of her so that way she's not internalizing it so much. And that's value. And a lot of people relate to that. So, yeah, it's interesting. I will say one last thing. Um, She is a kid and she will make dumb stuff uh, (laughs) because those shin splints and the doctor telling her don't jump and then she goes out and immediately jumps and breaks her ankle. While hilarious, also tragic because you were told this. Well, kids being kids and that's why, like I said, they keep bringing up that she's 17. I'll keep saying it. She's 17. Yeah. I didn't read um, it. I didn't read that as much as oh, I'm going to do it anyways because I'm 17. I read that more as similar to Taylor in Miss Americana. There are certain expectations that come with this stratospheric level of fame, right? She feels such an onus to perform the best show in the world every single time that that pressure basically tells her you need to do this to yourself, even if it means harming yourself in the long run. I think you saw that with, with Taylor, you, this in similar ways where there's such a feeling to be, you have to be that killer 
show that killer performance every single time. I don't blame Billy for reaching that point. But unlike Taylor, Billy was able to say no several times. <laughs> Which makes you then go back to Miss Americana and be like, it's amazing that it took Taylor Swift so long to come into her own when Billy, and maybe it's a generational thing, or maybe it's a genre thing, that maybe the strictures of country kept her from doing this. But the narrative of control over her life, I think, is a fast track for Billy, as opposed to how it was with Taylor, or even how it was with Britney, where it may not have existed at all. So it, I think you're, what it we're could seeing also be a label thing. It also could be a label thing. contracts and trying to meet deadlines. But you would almost think a label as big as Interscope would even be more draconian than even Big Machine was. You would think, at least I would think. Like when you think about Big Machine, yes, they're big, but Interscope is easily ten times its size, right? If not more. So you would think they would be worse, if anything. But I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, it's available. Uh, Billy yeah. Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, available on Apple TV Plus for you to check out and have your own opinions. Yeah, I recommend it. Uh, it's it's an interesting piece of filmmaking. Um, doesn't change most of my mind about Billie Eilish, <laughs> but it is an interesting look into her life and leading up to the Grammy Award winning album. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Grammy award-winning album. Grammy sweeping empire. <laughs> it's only begun. Yep. Let's move on. Why don't we? Now that we're done talking about movie thoughts into television, and we always start television with Media Boat favorite, The Sports Corner. Not a whole lot of sports is happening right now. No, but get out your baseball caps because Cactus League and Grapefruit League baseball has begun. Yep, so uh, MLB spring training games are here. Check your local listings for your local TV. Um, also, check if they're playing in the afternoon and you will miss those games. <laughs> you forget that they're on or catch yes. the replay later. If you have Apple devices, you can set your favorite teams and have it give you notifications when they're about to play a game. That's what I've done. Yeah, you can do that with cool. Google too. Yeah. But elsewhere in sports, first up, a story about hockey. Patrick Kane became the 100th person to score 400 goals in the NHL this week. So congratulations, Patrick. Well, no, he didn't score 400 goals in a week. But he did goals I mean. in his career. I mean, the thing happened this week, but yes. Yes. <laughs> if he scored 400 goals in a week, that'd be some, that would be a whole nother record. <laughs> Shattering records left and right. Yeah. So congratulations. Moving on to basketball the nba all-star weekend is this coming weekend with everybody's favorite the dunk contest so get your dunkers dunkers ready Mm -hmm. three-point contest and of course the all-star game Uh, i didn't see if they were doing skills challenges i didn't see it on the list but may or may not be doing skills Uh, but yeah the dunk contest and three-point contest will take place And next, we have your update for the 2021 Olympics. Believe it or not, the IOC. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know. 
The IOC is currently preparing to move forward, but without foreign fans for the Tokyo 2021 Games. So if you were planning on visiting to see any of the Olympics in Tokyo, well, too bad because you're not allowed. I told you about that, right? That was yeah. a possible honeymoon destination to do the 2020 Olympics. <laughs> not a chance. Oh, not wow. That was that could have turned out. The games currently are planned to involve 11,000 Olympic athletes and twice as many coaches, judges, sponsors, media, and VIPs. Currently, the torch relay is starting. It's slated to begin on March 25th. And the games will begin again currently on July 23rd. As of now, this can all yeah. change. We'll see. Uh, but this is the current leaks that we have been given and are running with. Uh, but yeah, so Tokyo would have to house close to 50,000 people. Yeah. Probably 40, yeah. 40 50,000 people just for the games to come in and, and compete in the games. Yeah. Not including foreign uh, fans who want to come. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to try and do that either, try and wrangle that either. It seems like a ridiculous undertaking when you consider that Japan already has a history of building things on top of things because they just don't have the space. So I can't imagine that how social distancing will work at all in this this these events. Right. Um, there is no word on if you need to have a vaccine in order to compete. That's also a thing that could be thrown yeah. right into this. I would bet probably no, but that also depends on the scale of vaccinations as we get closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, remains to be seen, but that's the story as of right now, as of this recording. Yep. Anything else in sports before we move on to television news? No, let's get into uh, some acting and directing sports. Yes. Well, there's awards being thrown around. <laughs> and by that, we mean awards season as it continues rolling along, which takes us to the Golden Globes, which, of course, I did not watch, but I did see the results of. Did you Ooh. watch this whole thing? I did watch the whole thing. Actually, I didn't watch it live. I watched the 8 o'clock telecast on it. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I was golfing and out. Oh, fancy, fancy. It was. It was birthday golf. Birthday golf. The best kind of golf. golf. But yes, the best kind of golf. Anyway. Uh, Anyways. Let's talk about the Golden Globes. They happened this past weekend, all remote-like. And it was dominated, hey, surprise, surprise, by streaming services. Netflix was, of course, the big nominee with most nominees going going into the field this year. And they won big. The Crown was the big TV winner. Uh, for television drama, taking home Best TV Drama and Lead Acting Awards for Male, Female, and Supporting Actress. Netflix shows won 10 awards over the night, including a pair for The Queen's Gambit in a limited series, and Lead Actress and Chadwick Boseman for Lead Actor in a Drama Film, of course. Posthumous for Mr. Boseman. Yes, his And I believe it was accepted by his wife, yes. Amazon's Borat sequel won the Best Musical slash Comedy Award. It's a musical um, award. <laughs> beating uh, Media Boat favorites Hamilton and Palm Springs. And I hate that it won. <laughs> it's fair to say. I can oh, throw no. disdain everywhere for that. Good and worse. And Borat star Sasha Baron Cohen won Best Lead Actor in a Comedy or Musical. 
Chloe Zhou had a history-making night when she became the second woman and first woman of color to win Best Director at the Golden Globes for Nomadland, which we talked about and praised just a few weeks ago. Name which the also other won... woman. What? Name the other woman who won Best Director. Was it Catherine Bigelow? No. No? No. Oh, it was... I remember reading this. Never mind. It was Barbara Streisand. Yep, for Yentl. Yes, for Yentl. Way back when. Uh, it brought that uh, gem of a film out. <laughs> right, right. Nomadland also won Best Picture Drama, as we so predicted it would, and puts it another point in um, contention for Oscar season. So, yep. still telling you, money on the table, I think this one's going to take it. Uh, yes, and I'm being the antagonist and saying that <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah will take it. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Schitt's Creek finished its run with Best TV Comedy and an Actress Award for Catherine O'Hara. Other acting winners included Daniel Kaluuya for the just-mentioned Judas of the Black Messiah, yep. John Moyega, Jodie Foster, Rosamund Pike, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, woo-woo-woo! Media boat favorite Ted Lasso. Yes, and Mark Ruffalo. TV comedy icon Norman Lear received the Carol Burnett Award for a career achievement in television. And Jane Fonda was honored with the Cecil B. DeMille Award in recognition for her extensive film work. So overall, pretty predictable night. I don't think that many surprises. I think the surprise to me was that people still care about The Crown. (laughs) But I might be outnumbered there. Also, again, the caveat with Golden Globes is it's the foreign press. So you're always going to get slightly off-kilter takes on um, American television and film. Right. Also, a lot of award winners took jabs at the Hollywood Foreign Press, namely Sasha Baron Cohen, um, thanking the all-white Hollywood Foreign Press Association. (laughs) And jokes like that were thrown throughout the night. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's what you expect. Uh, But yeah, ultimately, it just gets us more and more excited for the real awards when they happen. (laughs) So... Yes. We'll see you soon. But not quite so soon as the Grammys booted the SAG. Yes. And Academy Awards are down the line. Right. So we will cover those as they come up. But until then, speaking of streaming services, we are almost at the dawn of a new one. In fact, you mean tomorrow. The peak of a new one? At, yes, at the peak, if you will. Um, as tomorrow, we have the launch of Paramount. Plus. All right. Uh, we need to apologize here. Oh, yes. Did? This news came out exactly one week oh, ago. Oh, right. However, <laughs> we were podcasting at that podcasting time. Podcasting during this. So, as you know, the Paramount Plus rebranding is happening this week, tomorrow, on March 4th. For now, the pricing won't change from CBS All Access is pricing. But in June, the ad-supported tier will cost $5 a month, with the no-ads tier staying at the original $9.99 a month. The service will house 30,000-plus TV episodes, 2,500 movies, and is set to premiere 36 original series. So the full list, uh, well, this isn't a full list, but this is a list of basically what to expect uh, going into this premiere. First up, in the primetime TV category. I'm calling this primetime TV. So yeah, where you would see primetime television. You can call it prestige. You can call it whatever you want, but yes. Yeah. First up, Yellowstone spinoff, 6666. Yellowstone was, I believe, the CBS All Access show. 
it was the Paramount TV show, uh-huh. Paramount Network, okay, uh, starring uh, Kevin Costner. Right, right, right. We also have Mayor of Kingstown, starring Jeremy Renner. Yes, uh, MCU Jeremy Renner. Yep, the same. A reboot of Criminal Minds. Pass. The long-in-development Halo series that was a Showtime joint up until this change. Yes, it was filmed halfway through, and then Showtime and the coronavirus kind of put a halt to all that. Mm-hmm. But now we know it's going to premiere on a Paramount+. Plus. A series based on The Italian Job. Which is not a porno. No. <laughs> Expect car chases with Mini Coopers. Yes. New seasons of Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Lower Decks. A Frasier reboot with Kelsey Grammer attached. No word about Frasier, anybody else. Who I don't know who that's for. Um, friend of the show, Christy, is the answer to that question. <laughs> You'd be surprised with how many people still care about Frasier. I wonder if we'll get a lot more guest voices appearing. We have stars. Or just the voices? Okay, sure. It's just the voices. Yeah, they won't show up on, 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 on screen at all. No. Nope. This is actually an animated take on Frasier. That, that was we didn't the, mention that. Wasn't that the gimmick that they'd call in? They'd just <laughs> so, call in and never show up. It did happen a lot, but if they were going to have a guest, they would have a, a yeah. guest for reals. It wouldn't just be calling. Where was I? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You were inside Amy Schumer. Uh, I was not. <laughs> I let the record stand. I was not inside Amy Schumer. She no. is married. But the revival of Inside Amy Schumer. <laughs> yes, there's a revival of the Comedy Central show Inside Amy Schumer. Spinoffs of The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. No word on what that will be. Spinoff of Reno 911. Um, Which is not based off the Quibi. No, I was just going <laughs> to say, fresh from Quibi jail. Next up, for the children, there's some stuff that got announced For as well. the children. The new Rugrats reboot, which is a CG animated take on the series, was teased. We also heard that there will be spinoff series set in the Avatar The Last Airbender stu- world uh, because they just made a stu- whole studio uh, around the creators of the show to make new series based in that universe. So so more Avatar to come. They, they called that studio? Avatar Studios. Very original. Yeah, very original. An animated Star Trek series outside of Lower Decks called Star Trek Prodigy. I would assume be a prequel. Maybe. Live action reboot for iCarly, Dora the Explorer, and the Fairly Odd Parent. Fairly Odd Parents. One of these things we knew about. One of these yes. things had a movie, and the other one had a very terrible TV movie starring Drake Bell. <laughs> Yes, I believe multiple ones. I believe they did more than one of those things. Oh, you're right. <laughs> we were just so checked out at that point that I, we were not privy to that information. But yes. No, but this did it actually happened. bring up Twitter and Dan Harmon. Not Dan Harmon. Uh, Butch. Dan Schneider. No, not Dan Schneider. Uh, fairly Odd Parents. Oh, Butch, Butch Harmon. Harmon. Yes. Who is just ripping people, ripping off people's art on on Twitter? It seems yes, selling that's it what for I'm profit. About. That also happened this week. Yes. 
Also in reality TV shows, RuPaul's International Drag Competition, Queen of the Universe, revivals of VH1's Behind the Music, MTV's Yo! MTV Raps and Unplugged, and The Real World, reunion specials, all will be coming to Paramount+. Plus. It said reunion special for the first one, unsure if they'll be doing it for multiple seasons, mm-hmm. or this will all roll into new special seasons we'll see. directly for Paramount+. Plus. But the real world brand and franchise is in the works. And then lastly, if you're more of a movie person, there will be those too. Paramount Films will be available just like HBO Max within 45 days of theatrical release, including planned Paramount films like Top Gun Maverick, A Quiet Place 2, the next Mission Impossible film, and a new unannounced Paranormal Activity film. So that's a lot of shit coming to Paramount+. Plus. For ten dollars a month, I did not see any deal where, like, if you sign up for <laughs> early access, you can get, or like, you sign up like three years in advance for a mm-hmm. hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah, I wish that everybody had that annual deal like Disney Plus has, where you could just kind of such a good deal. fire and forget, and then just not worry about it for a year. I wish because I would probably sign up, but. I am not really in the market for yet another streaming service at this point. And so I do not know if I'm going to bother. I don't think anything here, except for maybe new behind the music, is enough for me to be interested in this. Right. I see a couple of stuff, but not $10 a month if it's not out yet. No. Enough for me. Like, yeah, sure. I would love to see the new Mission Impossible movie, but I will probably pay a la carte to rent it. If I really want that in my life. Right. Um, so. Like, I'd like to see the new Avatar shows, but that's also probably won't be available until next year. It'll be a while. So, um, like the Halo series, I'd like to see. The Talent Job series, I'd like to see. But also, don't know when it's going to be available because it said coming within the first year, not yeah. day one. Here you go. Here's everything we've been working on. Yeah, I don't know. Um, kind of underwhelmed, but it's a work in progress. I mean, we were underwhelmed by HBO Max when it launched too, to be fair. It's only now, I think, become something that we've been able to wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, Yes, but we did see a lot of potential for HBO Max when it did launch. Yeah, I think the problem with Paramount Plus is that we've seen now an established version of these things working, that if it's not coming out of the, like, coming out swinging then it's just not gonna like hit our radar it needs to prove itself and it'll take some time speaking of how is discovery plus i have not touched it since the week that we talked about it and i canceled (laughs) my subscription (laughs) see that was the worry that i had on that thing is like there's a lot of cool stuff on there but am i always going to be in the mood for what the specific niche it, uh, it offers probably not if you're somebody who wants to watch a Food Network show every day of their life, then maybe it's worth it. But for me, it just didn't pan out that way. Yeah, see, I'm someone who likes to drop into the middle of a Food Network show, mm-hmm. not start from the beginning. And now I'm committed to finishing the yeah. episode instead of, here, I need to watch this for 10 minutes while a commercial is on for yeah. something else that I'm actually interested in watching. And the other thing, speaking of that, the other thing that kind of 
pushed me off of it was when I signed up for cable. Now it seems like it's redundant. Yep. So there's that too. All right. Speaking of redundant, first up in television thoughts, do you have anything else you want to talk about with the Golden Globes or did we kind of cover it? Yeah, we kind of covered it. I just put it down here because it was part of the reminders from last week that, hey, don't forget Golden Globes are coming up. Yeah. Also, also, it's just it was the TV thing happening this week. I think to a certain extent. Yes. Um, real quick, we do need to talk about before we get into the stuff we need we want to talk about <laughs> Jeopardy. Um, yeah. Last week we didn't mention it, but Ken Jennings' tenure had ended mm-hmm. as guest host. As guest host, um, this week or, and it went to executive producer Mike Richards. Right. We went through last week and currently through this week. But starting Monday, Katie Couric, right, is the new host for Jeopardy, or new guest yeah, host. Guest, guest host. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she, what spin she puts on it. I have not seen any of the, um, of the Richards episodes. I don't know how he's doing, but he definitely has the voice for it, but not the charisma. <coughs> and it's hard I mean, to have the charisma. I mean, he's a suit. He's yes. a producer. That's a reason why he is not the host of the show, typically. So yeah, I'm not super surprised by that. <laughs> right, but Ken Jennings did have this kind of, I don't say cockiness, but this kind of like era about him. Like when he read the question, he knew it before he finished it. Right, right, right. You could tell that he also knew the answers. <laughs> right. Whereas you don't kind of get that with Mike Richards a lot. And you probably won't get from anybody else. I mean, that's the thing that's unique about Ken is that he has the trivia experience. Right, but they are bringing in people who have orating experience and a lot of talking out mm-hmm. constant at length which as i said when ken jennings was the first his first couple episodes you talk a lot as the host yeah you do so we'll see how uh, katie kirk does come monday yeah but let's talk about what we, we want to talk about now. yeah oh boy so if you rewind the clock month and a half ago at this point um you'll get to our year in wrap up 2020 shows uh where i said that my favorite show of 2020 was a new upstart on hbo max called close enough and i said that it would have made my list if it had more episodes as there were only eight (laughs) well surprise surprise there's a whole new season up there also only eight episodes but still eight Brand new episodes of Close Enough. Um, so if you didn't hear our talk last year about the show, or if you're new to the show, the, this podcast, or if you just haven't heard of this, so Close Enough is essentially, so it's the uh, it's creation of J.G. Quintel, uh, former creator of Cartoon Network's uh, regular show. And just like regular show, its basic premise is real-life scenarios with a fantastical twist that kicks in in the back end of the episode. That's typically the structure of an average episode of Close Enough. And yeah, it continues um, in season two being that basic structure where it takes very relatable subject matter between these kind of millennial, like adjacent or millennial, like proper like characters that are all kind of cohabiting, cohabitating together. And then whatever mundane thing they're dealing with has some sort of fantastical twist that happens and puts them usually in danger. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, I praise the last the last season for being genuinely super, super funny, 
super relatable in that kind of millennial, like laser targeted way and just being really creative and inventive. And I think most of that carries on through season two. I really had a good time with season two. I think the first episode of season two is a stronger episode to start with. Yes. And it's a lot easier barrier of entry to get into finishing this season and then going back and finish and watching the first season. Yeah. I think they were able to establish a middle ground where I feel like season one had a lot of like whiplash where it's like, okay, this is, this is pretty reasonable. And then this is super fantastical. Mm -hmm. They feel like they found a sweet spot here. The writers are clearly getting like their footing, like are finding their groove with the second season. Right. And, uh, they definitely put more of the focus on the family this time instead of having it uh, evenly spread out between the family and the divorce couple. It's interesting that you say that because I feel like that's not the vibe I got. I feel like they are able, they, they do have quite a lot of episodes in this season that do focus on the side characters. And that is actually one of the strengths of this show. More in depth with the side characters in yeah. certain episodes. Yeah, I think that that's one of the strengths of this show is, and one of the things that I think is really like really impressive is that this early on they've established it as a a, a um, as a um, ensemble show as opposed to just about these three characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it interesting, even if you don't have the main characters around so you're not just wondering the whole time where are the main characters (laughs) which i think in a lesser show you would have um one thing i will say about the season that didn't that i didn't love is that they go to the man don't we look at our phones too much well maybe one too many times in fact maybe two too many times for my liking i feel like you can do that black mirror kind of episode once and then once you do it multiple times, you're like, all right, come on. We already covered this ground. But, you know, I get it. Like, there's only so, like, there must be a right. I was actually talking to, to Christy about this. It's like, there must be a writer on their, like, that on their, like, in their room that just really is fascinated with that subject and just keeps pitching stories about it. Or there's a writer in that room who's just constantly on their phone and just not <laughs> paying attention. And so, yeah, like, I just... I've been on the record on this podcast for not like thinking that's kind of lazy, especially when you get too black mirror-y, it's like, all right, yes, we get it. Like we know, yes, phones are tracking our data. Yes, we're being watched. Yes, we know, but they're so ingrained in our lives at this point that it seems so boring and unoriginal to do yet another storyline about what if they really were watching us? It's like, no, we've been there. We've had a, over a decade now of smartphones. I mean, you we don't need that, that in story. The first season as well. <laughs> yes, they have not. It's not like this is the first time they've done it. It's just they keep doing it, and so yeah, that's one thing that I think detract like is a detractor here. It happens just enough where I noticed it, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say there's an occasional moment where I want to say that like they seem like a, maybe some of the writers are like maybe looking down on the generation of their characters, maybe a little bit more than I think there's necess- that's necessary, which I think goes hand in hand with the kind of techno fear stuff. And yeah, could do without some of that as well. It's not quite into um, Kimmy Schmidt 
Tina Fey territory quite yet, but it was getting closer to it <laughs> than I was comfortable with. And I was like, come on. So maybe like let the younger people in the in the room maybe steer the ship because I think when they do, it ends up being better when it's more focused on that kind of millennial vibe and more relatable is when the show is at its best. So I think overall, I think even though it's more consistent, I maybe came out of it a little less psyched on it than I was with season one. Ooh. But when it's firing on all cylinders, it's fantastic. Some of the jokes in the season are the best jokes I've heard in a television series at all in a while. And that's saying something. So they just need to figure out, I think, that balance for me. So that way they're not, so they're being a satire, but not like actively making fun of the people who I think their audience is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's we'll a tricky see line where to this, walk, though. It is. And we'll yeah. see where this lands um, come end of the year, which yeah, we've got to wait a whole nine more months for. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed what it was. I still recommend it, uh, especially if you haven't watched the first season. Go and just binge all sixteen. It doesn't take very long. Nope. <laughs> and they're all two episodes each, uh, except for the uh, season finale of first season. Yeah, it's a uh, Cartoon Network style two shorts in mm-hmm. one thirty. So yeah, it's it's very bingeable. Yep. Did you watch anything else? Um. And continue, I caught up on um, on Keenan and Young Rock. I caught up on last week tonight. I'm back on that after the new season started. Okay. So uh, speaking yeah. of those two, um, we hit episode three. Yes, we did. So, Burke is in. Is there a show you will continue watching? I think I still am really psyched about Keenan. I think there's so much chemistry there with the cast i really like the writing i think that that i think is going to stick around young rock might be losing me a little bit i feel like it's retreading some ground i feel like there was some promise in the first season that or the first episode in the pilot that i was like oh this is interesting and the second and third episodes didn't really touch on the things that i thought were interesting about that pilot as much and so i think i'm still hotter on keenan than i am on young rock i will I think you were right. Um, I gave Keenan my three episode pass, and it <laughs> yeah, passed. It's passing. I think The Rock is kind of treading the traditional family stereotypes a little bit too heavy. The one point in Young Rock's favor, though, is in a world where we don't have glow anymore, it's a primetime wrestling show. <laughs> <laughs> and as I was watching the wrestling choreography, I was just like, man, I'm so pissed that we're not getting another season of glow. You know you can watch SmackDown on Saturday, Friday nights. I don't want actual wrestling. I want stories about wrestling in a fictional way, if that makes any sense. So you want Raw on Monday nights. I don't want to watch wrestling. Watch don't wrestling with me. Don't make me watch wrestling. Watch wrestling with me. Even though I'll have Peacock and I'll have access to it. I still don't want to. Anyway. Yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, Keenan is running on all cylinders now. Yeah, I, I like Keenan. They, they figure out what they want that thing to be, and it's working. Yeah. I like, I really, I think it's a good vibe mm-hmm. with that thing. And good for Keenan. I'm glad that when he finally got his show, that it doesn't suck. Yep. So happy for him. 
um, do note if you are watching live TV, you will see commercials saying the winter finale. <laughs> Just note that this is all pandemic related and yeah. not the actual winter finale. <laughs> they only had so many episodes in the can, so yep. It happens. All right. It happens. Let's move on to cancellations and renewals. Why don't we? All right. What am I no longer watching? First up in cancellations and renewals, as I stretch to finish typing, I cannot spell the word renewal for the life of me. There we go. Oh, it's okay. Just renewals (laughs) of re. Yeah. First up, NBC is bringing back America's Got Talent for a 16th season. It just will not end, folks. CBS All Access has canned the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone after two seasons of that. It will not be continuing on to Paramount Plus. No, which is why it's canceled via CBS All Access. Hulu is picking up the reboot of Animaniacs for a third season ahead of its season two premiere. Mm-hmm. Late Night with Seth Meyers at NBC is getting further renewed for three more seasons. So we will have more Seth Meyers all the way through 2025. This also kind of means that uh, Jimmy Fallon will still be the host of The Tonight Show until 20. Likely, yeah. So it'll be the same late night crew for the next few years. Yep. Prime Video is renewing Making the Cut for a second season. The CW. Uh, That should be premiering later this year. It's the fashion competition show. Right, right, right. The CW will be redoing Superman and Lois for a second season. I believe season one just premiered or will? I believe its premiere was uh, last night. Just premiered. And in a move that I guess shocks nobody, but I guess there was some questions about whether or not it would happen. The Simpsons is getting two more seasons on top of its current run, which means that it will last to the 34th season and it will be staying on Fox despite some rumblings about whether it would be a primetime show or move to Disney+. Plus. Nope, it's staying in its Sunday slot on Fox at least for the next couple of seasons. Uh, this means I saw the number uh, say, like I saw the number of episodes will be around 725 or something, something like that, something ridiculous. No, it will hit seven hundred episode seven hundred in a couple weeks now. Yeah, but through season thirty four, it will hit seven hundred fifty episodes at some point. Fifty. So, yeah, just an absurd amount of Simpsons. So, just you coming for it. your gun smoke. <laughs> yeah, they're really gunning for it. No pun intended. All right, that'll do it for cancellations, renewals. We have some deaths to talk about real quick. Sad face. Sad face. Sad face emoji. Motocon. Yeah, it's emoticon. Motocon. Okay, well, this is what you're getting. Um, <laughs> no disrespect for the people we're discussing. That's the best I could do at the time. Uh, first up, Ronald Pickup, age 80, actor in The Darkest Hour, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and The Mission. Next up, Alal Robert Murray. Age 66. I'm guessing you spelled his name wrong. Alan Robert Murray, thank you. Sound editor. Worked on Letters from Iwo Jima, American Sniper, and Joker. Won Oscars in 2007 and 2015 for his sound editing. And then Bunny Whaler, age 73. Jamaican reggae singer, a co-founder of Bob Marley and the Whalers. And songwriter. Wrote Electric Boogie. 
Grammy winner back in 91, 95, and 97. So there you go. Those are your deaths this week. Yep. That means we've reached the halfway point of the show, and it's time to flip it over to you to talk about some music. And we always start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. And yep. still the hottest song in the land is Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, if you want to see Billie Eilish get her driver's license, watch uh, the Apple TV Plus documentary. If you want to hear about someone getting their driver's license, listen to Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Yep, where she can go 0 to 60 in 3.5. <laughs> just just get in and shut up and drive. <laughs> yep, those are lyrics from that song, not from another song about cars. Nope. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on, we also have uh, the Pixar film Up. <laughs> By you already Kennedy. made that joke. Can't do that joke every week. Yeah, we can. You should have it's said like we make it up. You should have said the hit early two thousands Shania Twain single up. Remember that? No, no one remembers that. No, I remember that. <laughs> uh, by Cardi B. <laughs> up uh, at three. Go crazy by Chris Brown and Young Thug. I thought we uh, exiled. Yeah. Chris Brown to um, Dead Island over there. Yeah, well. Irrelevant um, Island. People keep inviting him back for some reason. Uh, At number four, 34 plus 35 by Ariana Grande. 69. Yeah, it is. And rounding out your top five, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, still stuck in the Mm -hmm. mirror room. (laughs) Yes, still, still lost in that maze. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200. Can we get a new release here? Because this oh, all wish. looks very familiar. Just wait until April when Fearless drops Taylor's version. All right. So number one, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Number two, Positions by Ariana Grande. Number three, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by Pop Smoke. Order. At four, The Voice by Lil Dirk. And at number five, Shiesty Season by Pooh Shiesty. If Poo that Shiesty. sounds familiar, it's because they were all in the top five last week. Yeah, just some rearranging. Just some rearranging. So, if you didn't like any of those albums, and if you're thirsty for new albums, we have new releases. Well, I'm thirsty. Please, please make one of these a new number one album <laughs> next week. You heard it, people. Uh, Do it. Putting putting it out there to the universe. Uh, we have "You're Welcome" by <laughs> A Day to Remember. Don't think it's a cover of the Milano song, though. No, it's not. We also have "As Days Get Dark" by Arab Strap. The Pet Parade by Fruit Bats. Show me how you disappear by. Ian Sweet. When You See Yourself by Kings of Leon. (laughs) And Endless Arcade by Teenage Fan Club. So, quick note about the Kings of Leon record. I thought this was going to be our music news, but I don't see it. It wasn't because it was breaking. It broke, or at least I saw it after I had already done the news this morning. Because I saw it like two hours ago. Also, it's stupid. So, we, we can just mention it really quickly. The Kings of Leon announced today that their record will be the first record ever to be released as a 
non-fungible token. <laughs> a what now? A Funyun token? I wish it was a Funyun. No, non-fungible token, which if you don't know what that is, bless your sweet heart because you have kept away from the discourse over the last year. If you do know what it is, you'll be able to tell everybody you know because usually that's the kind of person who's into this kind of thing. That is, You're that it's fun related person at to, parties that knows this yeah. information. <laughs> it's related to cryptocurrency mining. Uh, Non-fungible token is a basically a Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, Kings of Leon, I guess, are making this with in partnership with the chain smokers in some way. I guess they own the company that I guess had this idea originally, but Kings of Leon are the first one doing this. So don't ask me how this works. I don't know what actually this means. I have no idea. <laughs> Can you it's, listen to it? I don't yes, know. But it's basically able to be tracked through cryptocurrency. So you can see who's bought it before, where it's been, and it's weird. Why? Why? Why would I want to know who owned this album before no, I did? No. Why would the Kings of Leon want to do this? Is it just for the headline? I mean, it got us talking about it. It did. It got us talking it, it, it about the Kings job. of Leon in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. So I guess it's doing something. Uh, this means I have to invest in cryptocurrency. To listen no, it doesn't. To it, it doesn't, doesn't mean it? that. No? It does not mean that. You don't have to invest in nothing. <laughs> All right. So Kings of Leon, new album coming out. Yeah, that's all you need to know. All right. Let's get to some music news, shall yes. we? So first up, a woman turned in Lady Gaga's two French bulldogs at a Los Angeles police station on Friday night. Two days after they were stolen, in a brazen armed robbery in Hollywood. This was the music story of the week uh, about Lady Gaga's dog walker and dogs. Because Lady Gaga's dog walker, Ryan Fisher, was shot once while struggling with the robbers on Wednesday night. He is in stable condition, according to the police. Mm -hmm. The robbers made off with two of the singer's three dogs, Koji and Gustav. The dogs were turned in at the LAPD Olympic Station around 6 p.m. and were reunited with Lady Gaga's representatives, said LAPD officer Mike Lopez. The robbers remain at large and the investigation is ongoing. Gaga has offered a $500,000 reward for the return of the dogs. There was no immediate word on whether the reward would be claimed. So... Yeah, a um, couple things about the story. Man, one, who's had to get dog walkers? Number two, apparently her dogs are a kind of breed of French bulldog that is rare. And so maybe there was some sort of potential that this person was going to sell them on a black market or something. Real shady business. It's just such a bizarre out of nowhere story. Um, and it sucks. Like whoever this awful person is is like or people i guess robber these robbers just like man this sucks well it's technically armed robbery because they shot someone oh yeah that's armed robbery for sure uh but someone took the lifestyle of rich and famous song a little too personal oh my god 
um, if you're born in the late 2000s, you'll get that joke. If you don't, <laughs> go ahead and Spotify yourself. <laughs> Some, uh, or, or don't. You're fine, or actually. Don't. You might be okay. I don't know. Are you okay? You're looking like <laughs> in there. I lived it. I lived to tell the tale, I guess. All right. Uh, moving on, then, to our second music story. Uh, oh, wow. TikTok. TikTok. Hey, remember TikTok? Yep. Well, it's settling. Its parent, uh, well, its parent company, China's ByteDance, have agreed to a settlement resolving a federal class action lawsuit claiming the short-form video app wrongly collected users' biometric data and shared it with third parties. Yes, we talked about this a while ago. Uh, we had some stories about the federal government being involved, specifically former President Donald Trump making it a point in his uh, career to go after TikTok and potentially threatening to ban it unless Microsoft bought it, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Uh, Well, under the terms of the settlement, TikTok will pay $92 million towards a fund for users who claim their personal identifiable information was improperly used by the app. The agreement also requires that TikTok establish a new privacy compliance training program and take other steps to protect its users' privacy going forward. If the settlement is approved by the court, affected TikTok users will receive some information about how to receive a share of the funds. The multi-district litigation consolidated 21 cases filed against TikTok its predecessor, Musical.ly, and its affiliates. That's musical.ly. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, one of our favorites, music and litigation. Yeah, I mean, this is more of just a, like kind of a wrap-up story about the things we had reported previously about lawsuits about privacy uh, breaches with TikTok. And so, yeah, it's, it's it made sense that they would settle for this uh they have the money to why not just like you know pretend it never happened just give some money away and yeah maybe some people who were who can prove that they were their stuff information was leaked can benefit from this and that's just a good thing so right make sure that they can prove that it's leaked from china's bike dance and not from the litany of other places stuff gets stolen from right, exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right moving on to uh, did you listen to anything uh nothing that i want to go in depth on uh real quick i listened to the new julian baker record um uh little oblivions uh now that i guess that phoebe bridgers is like a big star um i guess that we can talk about julian baker now (laughs) um because she's kind of in the similar kind of um vibe so if you're a newly christian phoebe bridgers fan after she broke that guitar on snl uh, well, hey, check out Julian Baker. Very similar vibe, uh, very similar kind of song. If you think Phoebe's sad, well, you ain't hurt nothing yet. Um, give Julian a try. Uh, it's a very good record. But that's the uh, Julian Baker. Yes, that's all I listened to this uh, this week, though. Okay. Um, Dick Jonas was on SNL, and he had a new song out. So. That's a thing. Also, he's on The Voice and promoting it there, so that's a thing. The Voice started up again, so that's a thing. That's the thing. And that's the thing with Nick Jonas. All right. 
Um, if there's nothing else, let's round up into video games, shall we? Let's. All right. Uh, only two games being released this week, kind of. One is Apex Legends for the Switch. Yep. And the other being Mortal Shell, colon, Enhanced Edition for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. So yeah, just some new consoles for some existing games, pretty much. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the stuff that we really want to talk about now. <laughs> PlayStation had its date yes. of play, which was announced right after we stopped recording. <laughs> hey, we're going to be doing this in two days. Yep. Like, ah, get shit. ready for it. <laughs> yep, and get ready for it. And oh boy, some of this stuff is actually pretty good. Including a Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time, getting a PS5 version with exclusive perks free for PS4 owners of the game. Also, Sifu, a martial arts game, was announced for late 2021. We also got a new Returnal trailer, as well as a Knockout City trailer uh, for the PS4 and PS5 which was announced for the Switch. It's going to have a cross-platform beta if you sign up at their website. You also have new Solar Ash gameplay and a trailer for the Five Nights at Freddy's colon Security Breach game. I think that's VR game? Um, that was not made clear in the presentation, it, but it is a first-person game so i don't know it could have a vr mode yeah i'm not sure if it was vr or not uh we also got new odd world colon soulstorm gameplay and it will be a ps5 ps plus free title upon release yes we also have a new kina colon bridge of the spirits trailer and that looks pretty good. Yeah. Still very good at animation and character design in that game. Looks like a movie. Like, it's very impressive. Yep. Uh, as well as a new Deathloop trailer. Yep. And then they were done. Yeah. Until sweet. the end. Except one thing. Except for one little game called Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> Which is getting a PS5 edition called Remake Integrate. Yes. Players with a PS4 version can purchase an upgrade, um, which will include a new Yuffie side story as well. Um, side note, though, days after the show, Sony shut down their Japan studio. <laughs> yeah. And Sony's Japanese development will now focus on Astrobot team Asobi Studios. So yeah, just I wanted to put that in real quick because for people who have been following Sony's internal development over the years, this is kind of a big deal. Japan Studios had their logo on all sorts of different uh, internally developed Sony franchises over the years, way back even starting with the original PlayStation. Um, so yeah, they have a storied history, but they were also known as kind of a like a finisher kind of studio and rarely was the lead developer on the classic uh, first party Sony games. 
So this move doesn't really, isn't super surprising. It's really just consolidation. I guess Sony realized that Asobi was doing such good work with the Astrobot games that they decided, hey, these guys are talented. Why not just pour the existing talent into them and focus, refocus a little bit? And that's more or less what they've done. I do, I think I, I, there are some people who did lose their positions um, from this shutdown, but generally speaking, this wasn't a removal as much as it was a reorganization. Now, Japan Studios are the Forza? Not Forza. I mean, the no. Gran Turismo? They are not the Gran Turismo people. That is Polyphony Digital, which is a Sony-owned first-party studio. But I thought Japan Studios was also on that card. They might help. Yeah, they might have helped with the development of those games, but this will likely not affect development in the next Gran Turismo game, if that's where you're going. Yeah. No. Uh, Polyphony is pretty much has the main steering wheel on that one <laughs> uh but yeah japan studio sure I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see an asobi logo i guess is what you're saying on that game as well because they'll probably be helping out okay and lastly in uh sony state of play playstation news the months or the games free games for playstation plus march games were announced because you can download these right now including farpoint for the ps4 Remnant from the Ashes for the PS4, and Marquette for the PS5. Yeah. And then if you didn't play it, because they announced it, and because I waited, this is me cashing in right now <laughs> uh, for waiting one year for this game, Final Fantasy VII Remake will be free yes. for PlayStation Plus members yep. right now for the yep. PS4. Important to note, though, the free version is not eligible for an upgrade path to the Intergrade DLC. Right. So you have to have you a want... retail copy of that game. Right, which means if you find Final Fantasy VII Remake on sale somewhere for a <laughs> yeah. disc-based game, you can buy that to get the uh, PlayStation 5 upgrade. Yeah. But the free version is available for PS4 right now and i may suck some time into that this weekend yeah possibly maybe that. go for it all right now moving on to our final story of the night story we hyped up last week yeah and also made us feel old <laughs> because 25 years of pokemon have happened and yes. that included that culminated into a new pokemon direct Studio, yep. which, yep, which we had new Pokemon Snap trailer to look at. Ooh, so pretty. So yeah, fun. that game was pretty cool. Yep, we also have Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl announced for late 2021, which are remakes of the Gen 4 games. I specifically wrote faithful remakes here in the news story because I wanted to hammer that point. So everybody kind of knew there was enough leaks and rumors to suggest this, that th there were going to be remakes of Diamond and Pearl for Switch. So that in itself wasn't surprising, but I think the way they did it did surprise me and a lot of people. I think what I and a lot of fans imagined that this was going to be was a remake of Diamond and Pearl in the kind of form like sword and shield were mm -hmm. 
like expand like like kind of a 3d camera like maybe some different character designs and updated look overall that's not what this game is this seems to be a top-down tile-based recreation of the ds game just in 3d polygonal polygonal graphics now or at least more polygonal graphics i believe the backgrounds in diamond and pearl were 3d but the characters were sprites if i remember correctly uh, but this will be completely 3D. Um, a lot of people were comparing it to the look of um, that Link's Awakening remake they did on Switch uh, last year or two years ago. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting choice, and I don't know if I'm fully down with it. I think one of the reasons why I was interested in them remaking is because I actually didn't enjoy Diamond and Pearl when they came out that much. I remember being disappointed, and I don't even think I finished that generation of Pokemon games. So the fact that they're just making those again with a new fresh coat of paint maybe isn't what I was hoping for. Hmm. You're not willing to bend space and time anymore? <laughs> I already did. I already did that. Like, I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody out here that's really big fans of those games that are excited how faithful it is. That they just want those new game, those games, but in a new in the new system that they like. Well, as we've said multiple times, your favorite Pokemon game is typically the first one you play. It's like it's the Mario Kart thing. It's like yeah, you glom on to whatever you were like at a specific age for. Mm-hmm. But but I don't know. I might be wrong. But as of right now, it's kind of soured me on buying it. I might not pick it up. Um, I might just watch Christy play it this time. But that's fine with me because of the other, because they weren't done announcing things. Oh, you mean the other, other Pokemon game that they announced? Yeah, now this has some potential. (laughs) So, uh, this is kind of news because today, actually this week, (laughs) marks the four-year anniversary of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild coming out for the Nintendo Switch. And when that game out, game came out, game out, when that game came out, everyone, and I mean literally everyone, said, why can't we have this game but in Pokemon format? <laughs> well. And the monkey's paw curled that happy day. Birthday, or happy birthday four years later in like true development time. They saw what they could do with it and said, <laughs> hey. Let's just do that, and here we are, four years later, announcing Pokemon Legends, colon, Arceus, announced for early 2022, which is a new action RPG take on Pokemon that takes place in an open-world, vast version of Sinnoh. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack with this trailer that they showed wasn't a whole lot of footage, but it was enough footage to get an idea of the approach they're taking. So it seems like the act of moving around the world, which appears to be a Breath of the Wild style open world, although that hasn't necessarily been confirmed or not. Um, And the traversal seems to be more of an action RPG sort. There was a scene that I think really blew my mind of the trainer doing a dodge roll why would a trainer need to do a dodge roll? Is the trainer in danger? <laughs> um, and which is well, not well, something you've ever been able to do. Um, 
And then battles that seem to be turn-based Pokemon battles, but catching that works Pokemon Go style where you're tossing balls. So it seems like it's a smattering of all sorts of different ideas that they've played with over the years, but are committing to in one new Pokemon game that they're the team is saying is part of the mainline Pokemon series. The naming here also implies that this might not be the only one. The way that they use Legends colon Arceus, by the way, that video for the first time told me how to pronounce that Pokemon's name. It's Arceus. No, the, the video pronounced it with a hard C. Arceus. It's yeah. by two vowels. Yeah, weirded me out too. I was like, Arceus? It's Arceus? I always read it as Arceus. Because it's followed by two vowels, so you do a soft C. Well, the official video said Arceus, so I guess it's Arceus now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that implies that if they wanted to do, say, hey, what about old-ass Unova? They could do that game. It's interesting, the options that this leads. Also, there's so much we don't know about this game that it'll be really fascinating to find out more. Like, are there towns? Like, are there NPCs? Like, what are, like, like the battles appear to be turn-based, but why does your trainer have a dodge roll? Is there, like, climbing? Like, are there towers? Like, there's so many questions. Also, your starters are not the Sinnoh starters. Right. You get Rowlet in there. <laughs> yes. Pan-generational starters to choose from, uh, which is interesting. Also, it takes place in, in, the, in a historical period of Sinnoh, so way before the Diamond and Pearl games even start. It looks almost like a feudal Japan kind of era, mm -hmm. which is a whole realm of history that the Pokemon games have only lightly touched at, touched on, if at all. You mean the Great Pokemon War? Yeah, it might even go there. Um, I believe the only Pokemon games that, Pokemon game that I can remember that touched on this, not just in flashback, was there was a Pokemon strategy game for the DS, and I want to say it was called Pokemon Conquest, that took place in this kind of era. Let me double check that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it was called Pokemon Conquest. Because stuff like that, the great Pokemon was alluded to at first in the original Gen 1 games with Lieutenant Surge, and then even sprinkling here and there, culminating into the X and Y generation with, uh, with it being a part of the main plot line of the great Pokemon lore. Right. So it's unclear whether that will, whether this will comment on that or refer to that. Oh, so I did look it up. And yes, Pokemon Conquest was a DS game. And yeah, it was in a new region, but nonetheless had a lot of references to like like parallels to Japanese history and where you were fighting warlords and like samurai and shit. So there's precedent for this, but that was way back in 2012, also almost a decade ago. Ooh, <laughs> I don't old. think anybody remembers that game except for me. So we are getting old. So yeah. Um so yeah, I think that there's a lot of promise with this idea. There's a lot of directions they could go with it. It's unclear what it is. And also, it's important to note, it seems like it's really early in development. It's currently slated for early 2022, which puts it months after the Diamond and Pearl remakes. But the footage that they showed did seem pretty early. It seemed like the graphics weren't quite there. The frame rate was 
awful. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a work in progress, I'm sure, but it'll be really, really fascinating one to watch. I'm, I'm pretty confident this is something that I want, but I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll get more information because this won't come out till next year. And this is yeah. early 2022, which means probably one year. Probably March. March. I would imagine this time next year we'll probably be seeing this thing, unless it gets delayed. Right. In which case, see it as put it in your calendars now, March 31st, 2022. <laughs> yes. I think that's a Friday. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's a Thursday, so close enough. Pokemon, happy 25th anniversary, Pokemon, uh, by the way. That happened over the weekend. Um, Post Malone concert. Yeah, that Post Malone concert was weird. That's uh, all I have to say about with it. It's a new no. song. Yeah. Except it's not a new song. It's that a cover of Hootie and the Blowfish. Yes. I thought yeah. that was really weird. And animated really weird. Post Malone, who wasn't singing into his mic several times. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. It was a weird thing that existed and happened. Also, they announced that Jay Balvin will also be involved in this and will have some sort of concert after the Katy Perry one, which I believe will be next. Right. So they got quite a slate of artists, but we'll see, I guess. We'll see if it's more of this animated kind of style. Oh, which 100% will be. Yeah. <laughs> You're ready for CG Katy Perry. Oh, I'm not worried for that. Getting, uh, getting like, I don't know, like approached by a Mr. Mime or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, mean a Mr. Rhyme? Oh, that's true. More likely, yes. Yes. Mr. Rhyme. Sure. I'm surprised Mr. Rhyme didn't show up behind Post Malone. Well, he's, they're waiting for Buster Rhymes. Mm, Buster Rhymes, yeah. That would make sense. Anyways. Anyways, uh, did you play anything? Not particularly, no. <laughs> you still cooking on control? Uh, I didn't play this weekend. I was gone. Right. That's right. Yep. Uh, I probably won't. I'm having some stuff moved around here, so I won't have be playing until probably this time next week, maybe, or the following week. But I will be get back into gaming real soon. <laughs> Okay. Stuff is changing and happening. Got it. Yep. Guess we'll uh, see. But with that, then I think that wraps us up here, right? I believe that's it All for right. video games. Yes. Then that catches us here. Two hours. Boom. Done. It for the podcast as well. Thank you for joining us this week on the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next week for even more takes and reactions to the things that are happening in the categories that we speak of. But until then, if you want to watch us in video form, we're on YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel by searching Media Book Podcast in the YouTube search bubble. Our audio versions of our podcast can be found on podcast services such as Apple Podcast, Google Play, Amazon, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts, you can probably find us by searching Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Media Boat Cast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast to find our page. I mean, yeah. Email us if you have questions, comments about the show at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we say sayonara to this week, and we will be back next week for an exciting new episode. We'll be back next week with more news, more thoughts, Raya and the Last Dragon. New Disney film. New Disney film. Um, Oh, we will also have our 
final thoughts on WandaVision next week. Yes, as WandaVision wrap wraps up. up. Is this week. Looking forward to that. We may dedicate just a huge chunk talking about that thing. We might. But we'll get to that next week. All righty. So, for the time being, see you guys next time. Okay, bye. Bye.